You know, you can have a minimal physical space, but if your mental space is still really full and cloudy, it's it's not productive. And I, what I'm trying to do is to create a minimal physical space to kind of help my mental space. Today, I have a wonderful conversation to share with you from an exceptional human being who is exploring how to live a perspective that is constantly asking questions on how to be more present and to live with less. Add taking a hobby and turning it into some massive social media success, and you're in the right mindset and ready to start the journey and story of Melissa Coleman. Melissa is so many things. She's a designer, home cook, baker, dishwasher, wife, mother, friend, cozy minimalist, author, simplicity chaser, and my favorite, a believer in ordinary magic. This episode has so many wonderful moments. And before we get to explore that, we get to start with the reality of technology updates. Enjoy the show. Every time Zoom updates something, all my devices are really old and then nothing works. And then I have to go through a wild goose chase to find the setting that's buried. And Oh, okay. man, it's so good. So just so you know, and, yes. you, and it's wonderful to see you. I you will too. be making fun of the minimalist <laughs> concept right here because of the technology hiccup that we just had. And I'm going to oh. do it with great grace and love. <laughs> do it. Do it. Oh, my gosh. I am such a grandma. Like, I, I shouldn't be working online, honestly. But oh, come on. You're right. Here I am. Let's jump back a little bit. Maybe we'll start with college, Melissa. Here's what Whoa. I know about you then. And then we can fill it in. I, I believe one of the things that you and I started talking about where we connected is my wife was a college athlete. And I think you were a college athlete, right? You, I, yes. me see if I got, you were a soccer player. Soccer player. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you're in college, you're playing soccer. Where'd you go to school? I went to a very small liberal arts school in Arkansas called John Brown University. Yeah. I know John Brown. Awesome. Yeah. So you, so you played soccer. And is that really you know, where you started to ex- explore what ended up becoming sort of the next phase of your of your adult life, as you put it? Yeah, I went to play soccer, but I, I was like a weird soccer player. I wasn't super competitive. If I was competitive with anybody, it was myself. Mm-hmm. So I went to play soccer, but I also chose a school that I could study graphic design or art. I had a background in art. I painted all throughout high school and did AP art. Some of my friends took AP English. I took AP art. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> and it's I super painted. Fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I picked a school that I could land elsewhere if maybe soccer didn't work out. I had had a knee injury my, I guess, end of my junior year, beginning of senior, which is not a good time if you're looking to play college sports because... Right. People are signing you and nobody wanted to sign someone fresh off ACL surgery. And I ended up going to John Brown and and playing soccer. But my first five minutes of the very first game, I tore my MCL again. And this was like my third or fourth tear. And it wasn't treated properly. And so I really did some damage and ended up having to have a surgery that they don't even do anymore. But so I was a soccer player. My identity coming in was a soccer player and I lost. I feel like I've had a lot of these iterations over my life, but I kind of had to deal with as a freshman, 
more so as a as a sophomore because I came back um, not a soccer player anymore, and I'd always been a soccer player, mm. and I kind of transitioned and dug my heels into becoming a graphic designer. And so I studied graphic design at JBU and I loved it because it was a liberal arts school. So I got a really wide variety. A lot of friends went to art school and I wanted I wanted to learn a little bit of everything because I wasn't quite sure who I was yet. Still not, but. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, by the way, I find when you say that, I, I smirk and, and think it's um, silly because of, you know, that's not the perception on the outside, but I truly authentically believe that what I see in you and your sort of your career journey is this continual desire to be self-aware. Yeah, which gets me lost a lot. You can get stuck to, you can almost get so insular, so self-aware that you do the opposite thing. Like you're not aware of anything around you. I often joke with my husband that I get stuck in rabbit holes and maybe you feel this way as, as a designer, as an artist, I will chase an idea, like hang a carrot in front of my face. I will chase the idea and I will finish it and I will go down the rabbit hole wherever that may lead me. And then I come back up and like look for everybody like, where'd you go? I'm back. <laughs> but I've been down a rabbit hole for months yeah. chasing a cookbook or a, a cabin restoration or whatever new thing that's just really exciting me. Yeah, I can relate to the desire to do that. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm very envious uh, of, of that discipline that you have because I think I think a lot of people want to do that or maybe even think they do that but at least from what i observe since the time we met to now mm -hmm. i think you had that's actually a very specific superpower you have so encouraging you that doing mm -hmm. that and sharing your journey is is really powerful so thank you thank for that. you thank you so you're in college you you hurt your knee you have a new so you are i think this is where we connected i I hurt my knee the first day of football practice. Okay. I went to Illinois yeah. Wesleyan. I think we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. And so now I was, what I was going to do, also where we're similar, is we both, I believe, were painters. Yep. And I think both of our parents said, you can't make money painting. Yes. That's what my dad said. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Said. Yep. I think you told me that story. I started giggling and I'm like, oh, yeah. I think that's what my parents said. <laughs> but isn't it great, great that we found design? I don't know if I would have found design had I not got hurt, or at least found <laughs> it so early. Yep. Um, so w you also did some other shifts, if I remember, during that time as well. So tell me about when, was it in college or later in college, where you really started baking more or baking again? Or how did, how did you know, kind of baking slash cooking come into uh, yeah. that space for you? Yeah, it's funny. My dad... I was concerned about me making money as a painter, you know, as any concerned parent that wants their kids to live outside of the home. And my mom was always concerned as a kid. I She would always tell me, they're going to kill me. But she, my mom would always say, Melissa, eat, let's see if I can get this right. Li eat to live, don't live to eat. I woke up, I was born with a deep love for food. I always loved it. And that love kind of turned into, okay, how do I make this? So in high school, I started baking. I watched Martha Stewart. None of my friends were doing that. So I always, I, I love to eat first. And then I learned to bake. And I, in college, I got, I call it my, my pink baking Bible. It was a King Arthur flower, whole grain baking book. It's like, it's feels like it's, it's like, six it's inches It's like a tome, thick. right? It's like massive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's so big. And I read through that whole book. I cooked through most of it. And I would cook for people 
in my dorm and in my apartment when I was in an apartment. I just loved to eat and love to cook. And then you kind of have to share it with people, especially when you're baking. So that's, I would say that's when my journey really started in college with, well, high school and then college. My mom always said I didn't clean my dishes at home. So once I got to college, nobody, nobody told me what I was doing right or wrong. So I just cooked all the time. (laughs) That's fantastic. And then you, you mentioned obviously a very key piece to your story. Uh, And I think we also connected on this too, because when I found out the name of your blog, Mm -hmm. I believe that time Martha Stewart magazine had just came out or was just hitting the peak. And it was, I think you and I were talking about how gorgeous of a storytelling print piece that was. Yes. Um, So when did you start officially the faux Martha blog? I started it in 2008. Uh, so I got married in 2008. We moved away. My family was in Texas. We moved to Chicago for my husband to go to school, which is where we met. Um, or you and I met and, um, he was, he was in grad school. So he was studying all the time. He also worked on the side and I had weekends open and we didn't have a ton of friends yet. We were new to the area. So I started blogging And it kind of became this companion that moved with us wherever we went, because in graduate school, he um, had a match for internship and postdoc. And so this thing just kept coming with me everywhere we went. And when I was in high school, the name where I got the name, my grandmother always called me Martha or Betty because I liked to cook and of so course, Martha Stewart or Betty Crocker that sort of thing yes. yeah okay yep okay. yep and so when I was starting I thought oh I'll be the faux Martha because no way will I ever be the real Martha hello 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 and welcome to the premiere of Martha thank you all for coming I am unfettered I am free no ankle bracelets I don't really know what I'm doing when I do anything, but I'm gonna do it because I like to make stuff. So the name felt really fitting and and honestly still does. I know some people will say, you're not the foe. I I don't like that part about your name, but I don't really know what I'm doing when I approach a project. I just (laughs) do it and sometimes I flop and sometimes I don't. Oh, that's great. So let's talk about the design part of it though. I look at your work and what you do and your design. And I I feel it has a very distinct feel to it, just like Martha Stewart Mm -hmm. um, did and does. Yep. So I've heard you describe yourself in two different ways, but I'm going to see what the current definition of (laughs) full Martha is. So how would you describe your design aesthetic or design style? You know, the funny thing is I, when I was, when I first started the blog, I didn't realize I had a design aesthetic and I never told really anybody I was a designer, but obviously if you're a designer, it just kind of spills over into Mm -hmm. lots of areas of your life. At that time, I would say too, I didn't realize I had minimalist tendencies. I would say I was more of a reductionist. I just want to jump in here really quick and talk about what is the difference between a minimalist and a reductionist style. And in reality, they're, they're somewhat interchangeable. You know, um, minimalism is a style of art, for example, that emphasizes really extreme simplicity of form. And to put it in application of life, it's really minimizing things that you need. And uh, reductionism is, is really the same thing, is stripping away the unessential, 
and, and just having the things that you ultimately really just need. So getting down to the fewest essentials possible. So uh, I believe in how we're talking about in the show, they're interchangeable. Even in high school, if you look at my paintings, they were very reductionistic. Like I, I learned to paint the more classic way and then I got more minimal and minimal simple in my style and approach. So when I picked up a camera for the first time, I did the same thing. I got a white background, almost like you pick up a white canvas and my medium, my paintbrush was food and I really just focused on the subject which if you look at my paintings, it's very similar, very minimal background. And then the subject was of utmost importance. And that's just, I didn't realize it, but it's just kind of the way I see things and, and saw things then. And I just kept, I kept doing what I know. And I think that aesthetic just developed naturally, just based on what I naturally was doing. One of the things that I, there's so many things, by the way, I love about your work, but one of the things Thank I you. really appreciate is how you take people through process, right? Mm -hmm. So how, let's let's maybe start with your house uh, mm -hmm. that you're in now. You've adopted a city, right? That's that's home. Yeah. And and so are you, are you in Minneapolis? We're in Minneapolis, yeah. Okay. So maybe talk about how you applied this minimalist reductionist like perspective when you decided to move and build your house. Yeah, I think once again, didn't realize what, what we were doing, um, that it had a name. You know, now I have a book, it's called The Minimalist Kitchen. I didn't even have a, a name for what I was doing. What, honestly, what I was doing and what I kind of am always doing is trying to solve a problem. And as designers, you know, that's we have this cool tool that we can design problems, solve problems beautifully. And so in our home, we knew we wanted to prioritize function over form. And, you know, form is the easy thing, at least for me, it's easy to make things pretty, but if they don't function well, then the form is just kind of meaningless. So we worked so hard to make sure every space functions at its highest for the everyday. So, you know, our house really isn't a special occasion house. Having people over, even family in town, it wasn't designed for that. It's probably not big enough. Um, but for the everyday, it's super smooth. We have a pantry that has enough space for all of our food. Uh, we have spots for our boots because you need boots in Minneapolis. Um, it's it's incredibly fluid for kids right now. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm doing when I approach a recipe too. I'm kind of looking at it, deconstructing it, saying, what do I actually need? Reducing down some of the steps, some of the like more formal steps, maybe that even Martha Stewart would do, or a trained chef would do. I'm kind of dumbing it down for- like Give me an example of, of what you mean by that. Yeah. So you're making, let's say you're thickening a soup and somebody's going to have you make a roux and you're going to make a roux. You're going to have butter and flour and you're going to stir it into this paste and then you need to brown it. Um, and then you begin slowly adding your liquids that can feel really intimidating. Even the word roux can feel really intimidating to a home cook. And it did for me when I first picked up a recipe with the word rucks in it. I'm sure I read it like rucks <laughs> instead of roux. <laughs> um, so what I've tried to do is, you know, how can I make that, that word or that concept more doable or attainable? How can you 
actually pull off that recipe? Is that word rue going to keep you from even making that recipe? Is there another way that we could make it? Hey, let's try a slurry. Your mom probably used slurries in her soups all the time by pulling out a little soup liquid and stirring in flour. That's the same thing in essence of what a roux is. So just kind of trying to break down these high things that we see in design, like style in design is really highbrow. It can, it can even put distance between people. How can I break that down to make it feel really doable and attainable and, and not to put distance between you and me, which can just naturally happen when you're publishing online. If you're yeah. publishing beautiful things, you don't have to publish online anywhere. It, design can kind of create distance and I yeah. wanted to do anything but that. Hmm. Love that. So how did that process you just talked about making the rocks slash rue, <laughs> how did that uh, apply to a home? It, because I always envision, I've always wanted to, to be a part of des- designing a home and I, I have a, I have a, a, a strong belief that I may not be the best client because I am a designer <laughs> and yeah, I would be yeah. wanting to like break down that with, with the architect or the designer. How did that work for you? I think, well, so now we've done two projects. We've done our home here and then the restoration project up in Grand Marais. And I think by the end, everybody's a little tired of me because <laughs> I'm working also with the designer. You know, I don't know if you have instances where a designer is working with a designer and they're both like leads it's it creates a little bit of tension and so i felt i felt that twice and i take uh, full ownership of that <laughs> because i have a vision and i see things a certain way and often when you're working with another designer they have a vision and it looks a little bit different than yours and so to find a happy medium i should also mention a person that's missing from this conversation is my husband And he is quite good at conceptualizing function. I would say maybe even more, more, more so better than I am. And he has played a pivotal role in both of those projects in our house. And then in the cabin, we like to say that his executive functioning works a little bit better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) So, so for example, let's just, let's just, uh, stick yeah. to the house for a second. So your kitchen. Yes. You have a very distinct process style and thought when it comes to setting up a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, right. And so if I was yes. gonna if I was gonna look at it from your perspective, I would say that have what you need, right? And yep. have it within reach. Yes. Is that is that a general oversimplification or no, that's wonderful. I, I see what you're getting at. I helped, I designed a studio that had a kitchen in it with some friends. And anytime I do things for other people, I really have to work backwards and understand my process because a lot of times you don't even realize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So in, in that, I really worked backwards and we started out by saying like, what do you want this space to feel like? And then just really, really high level, like in the cloud level. And then we kind of came down to uh, what tasks do, does this space need to perform? And I was like, I want you to tell me every single task. Like you need to wash dishes and you need to be able to wash them quickly. And you know, any little thing, any little daily task that you have to perform. And then once I had that list, once I knew kind of, I had a general idea of their aesthetic and how they wanted to feel in the space. And then I, I get to interpret 
that part, which is fun. And then I know the, the tasks that space needs to perform. I have all the information I need to fill in the rest. I guess budget is an important thing too, but those are the two like main things. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. That Yeah, we, we kind of step repeat that all over. Do it in our closet, do it in our kids' room. We do it almost every room of in our home. Like, how do we want to feel? What does this space need to do, perform? And then we fill in the answers with whatever comes out of our my head. <laughs> I love it. And so... So that's your, you know, key role, right? And then your husband, Kevin, like, where does he help that become more, I don't know, executable or, or smooth yeah. or, or what's, how does that partnership work? Yep. So for me, when I'm holding a bunch of different details that I don't know how to solve, like a mortgage, like a construction loan, like hiring someone, how much money should we spend? All of those big things that I don't have answers to are incredibly debilitating for me. So debilitating that I wouldn't move forward on the mm. project. Like I never would have built this house without his yes. And I know too, that he's going to think through a lot of the details that I'm not like the important life details, like finances. All I'm in, all I'm in for is the aesthetic, like also the performance, but I know I can execute on aesthetic. I don't, feel confident executing on, is this a good decision? So he kind of stands in that like high level decision maker role. And then I am, I am able to then execute the aesthetic or the design of each space. He gets us over humps. It's funny during the cabin and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I felt completely stuck. I often find myself in this place of, of feeling really stuck and I was picking up, I was reading, going on a bear hunt with my youngest and they say, can't go over it. Can't go under it. Uh Oh, you've got to go through it. Swishy swashy. And they trudge through the mud and they trudge through the water and through the snowstorm and over the hill. And reading that book has been such great wisdom for me of it doesn't matter if you don't have all the answers. Uh, it doesn't matter if you feel like you can't do it. You have there is no other option. You have to trudge through the mud. And I stop at the, at the threshold of mud. And typically my husband's the one that kind of helps us get through that. And I'm slowly acquiring a skill set for that. That's fantastic. So let's, you know, kind of continue to just go down that, that pathway. So you, you build the house, you have your, you have your blog. So is is this a full-time was this at that time was this a full-time hobby now a job or maybe yeah. kind of just talk about just the life cycle and how that and how that yep. started to evolve yeah so i started blogging as a pastime as a hobby and i let's see i can't remember the the span but you know deep years into it people started to realize oh people are paying attention to blogs, we're going to start to do, throw some advertising dollars that way. And at first it was like a hundred dollars, no contract. I could do that. Like, yeah, Horizon Organics, you want to work together? I buy your milk anyways. I'll get a hundred dollars. I can buy lots of milk. <laughs> That's right. I'm crushing it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I really felt like that. I was so proud. I can remember 
telling people at work, my day job, like, I got $100 from Horizon Organics. <laughs> and then as that kind of began to grow, more money was on the table. The contracts were longer. All of that was debilitating for me, and I just didn't respond. And I did that for a while until my hold husband. On, what did, re- hold on, hold on. What do you mean you didn't yeah, respond? Yeah, yeah. Like what? They would I didn't send you an email and you didn't respond? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Melissa. I know. <laughs> I, so later on, I'm jumping Is it because you were nervous of it or yes. like, okay. So it was just intimidating. Intimidating. It's, I still, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I still don't really have a skill set. I have a really strong right brain and a really weak left brain. Um, and they don't always talk to each other. And when they need to talk, one almost becomes one side almost becomes weaker, mm. which was kind of what I found throughout my journey, like signing contracts and all that stuff. I just didn't think through the necessary things you needed to think through to not get yourself in trouble. So I didn't do it. And my husband realized it, <laughs> jumped in to my email and he kind of became for lack of a better word, like my manager, my left brain. And he stayed in that role for a while. So we've worked together a lot over the years without realizing it, but he stayed in that role until we realized it wasn't good for our relationship. And then he quit basically. He never really got paid, but he quit the job, never got hired, but never got fired either. He quit himself. And then I went looking for someone to work with me because I knew if I was going to make this a sustainable business and I had the work for it, I had the, there was, you know, money in my inbox yeah. and I, I needed to build a system. So I hired the job description was literally, I'm looking for a left brain That's and a to, to perform these executive high functioning, just decision-making tasks. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with someone named Kimberly for three or four, four years. And she was so, so wonderful and carried me through. There's just a lot of decision-making. I'm sure you deal with this in what you do. There's a lot of decision-making. A lot of the decisions have consequences. And, you know, the longer I did it, the consequences were bigger. Yeah, I let's, 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 let's talk about that really quick before we go into, yeah. if you don't mind. So you got to a point and I'm just thinking this is the data metrics part of me. So you got to a point yeah. where you had a certain amount of readers, right? Would that be a correct or people yeah. interacting with your blog yeah. that became attractive to sponsors? Okay. Yep. I didn't know how many. I wasn't looking at metrics, but someone was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Someone looked, right? Did you ever so what's what's really fascinating to me, because this is this is the part of me that I think is a little mm-hmm. different than you. And no, you're not struggling. You're 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 doing amazing. <laughs> but I would have so you had no like goal. I want to have so many readers or so many followers back time. No, that when I get to that kind of thinking in my head, it impacts the quality of my work. Like it kind of takes the essence of who I am and what I do. It kind of, it infiltrates that to, it's not as good. My work isn't as good. Mm. Like I have realized I need to keep those two things separate because it impacts my work negatively. And I have not figured out a way for it not to. Okay. That's an interesting point then, because let me, let me share a statement and maybe this is not true. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have this passion, Mm -hmm. right. For baking and cooking. You have this distinct perspective of minimalism slash reductionism, 
kind of the same. We should talk about that one, by the way. Yeah. Um, and you are extremely talented visually. So you're, uh, and you're a great, great writer, by the way. Thank you. I really enjoy your writing. Thank so you're writing this blog, you're taking these great shots, you're kind of putting this philosophy in there. And how are you deciding what the content is, right? Like how, mm-hmm. how like when you were doing it before you had sponsors, yeah. how do you decide what you're doing? And then I guess the, here's the question. And then when you started getting sponsors, is that their correct term? Sponsorship? Yeah, or, yep. yeah. Partnership. How, how did yeah. that shift if it did? So I've often led with my gut and it gets me, it's gotten me good places. That is like the one thing food and, you know, like figuratively and literally my gut has gotten me where, where I am. I often posted, and and this has kind of been my whole philosophy. My blog was always for myself. It was my own project kind of to, to be the creative director, because when I started, I was a very, very young designer. I was working for everyone else and I needed to be, but it was my place to be my own creative director. And I was baking through recipes and often the recipes I was reading had a lot of parts in them that I didn't understand. And so I was having to figure out what things meant. And I realized, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, maybe other people are. And so I shared it on the blog for myself first, and then, you know, maybe other people too. And that kind of, that pattern just kind of kept going. Whatever I was doing in my life, uh, in my actual life, I thought maybe, maybe it will help someone else too. Maybe someone else is kind of stumble tripping through this and I could, I could share how I, how I didn't or how I got over that quicker so they can do that too. And I would say that has kind of been the whole mantra of blogging for me and why I chose to share it. When sponsorships got brought on at first, it was super awesome. I just got paid to be myself and, and do my own thing. And the, the contracts were minimal if, if non-existent. And then the contracts just got a lot more detailed. We want you to say this, it needs to look like this. And I started to feel like everybody owned me. There's a song and I can't remember who sings it, but one of the lyrics is, the more I'm bought, the less I cost. I'll say the more I buy, the more I'm bought. I started to feel that in a lot of ways. Everybody else owned my work. You know, I wrote a book I, in, in that process. My publisher closed. My book sold out. Never anticipated that my book would even, you know, sell enough to sell out. And I couldn't get the rights back because of a contract I signed. And oh, no. Yeah. Is that and still then, the space you're in now with it? It was reprinted. So they decided the publisher or the publishing house, I don't even know what, the holding house uh, who bought them out has put books back into print. But I had to hire a lawyer. I had to do things I never wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of kept happening of realizing like everybody else owns my work. Or I thought, I kind of came to this revelation that I need to make X amount of dollars now in order to pay a lawyer to look over everything that I do, or I need to have like a PR company to look over this and to make sure this doesn't happen because now I'm signing away my likeness. 
And if my likeness becomes tarnished, then that brand doesn't want to work with me or I have to pay things back. And it just all became really, really big and overwhelming and debilitating, like beyond debilitating. Mm. And I would say that's a little bit where I'm at still right now of everything's gotten big, really big. You know, the number next to my name is way bigger than who I am. The things brands are asking of me is way bigger than who I am. I'm now just a one person, I'm a one man show <laughs> doing this. And a lot of people around me who have, I feel like, you know, the sweet spot if you're a blogger is you have a really strong right brain and left brain, or maybe they balance each other out. And I'm just still kind of missing that that left brain side. And it's 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 super hard to to mm. to be a creator now. If it was like this when I started, I never, ever would have started. But it was really awesome for a lot of years. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah. we don't have to dig into too, in, too many painful stories or, or anything <laughs> like that. But so, it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically you, you had some, you know, endorsements or sponsorships that, that didn't work out the way you wanted it to, right? Yeah. That, that, that made it uh, unfun or other words yeah it made it unfun and you know i always assume the best of people it's just who i am and i realized as a business owner you, you can do that but you also have to really protect yourself mm. and you know that even that revelation kind of made me pull back and pull back and there's other things that have happened online that have have kind of confirmed just the way things are trending online have confirmed that and I've refined, I find myself retreating, retreating more and more. And that's not how you approach a blank canvas. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to paint. Well, I'm sorry that you've had the experience. I, I think that I hear you on, it feels like you start something that you're passionate about. You're good mm -hmm. at it. People enjoy it and interact with it. And then it gets to a, a point where you're running a business and you have all these other things to think about and it feels like the content and that joy is getting farther and farther away is that an accurate yes so accurate so accurate and even i realized hiring someone else who was incredibly wonderful she came in at the time that the whole book thing kind of erupted and then several other things happened she she kind of helped helped keep things alive and going but i i realized that i no matter what i am at the helm of this ship and i can be at the helm creatively just fine but to be at the helm as like a a ceo it's it's i still have to do that even if i hire someone else and i mm -hmm. think that's the really extremely hard part for me i cannot figure out mm. how to do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I'm with you on that. I can feel I can feel that um, 100%. Well, it, it, let's let's talk about maybe a practical application is the way I'd phrase it to your philosophy. I I think I read this somewhere, but I can totally get behind this. By the way, mm -hmm. so tell me about your approach to clothes. I have a uniform. I, uh, my husband has a lot more clothes than I do. He also works out of the house, but even if I did, I usually, I should have worn it today, but I usually wear a chambray shirt, 
a button up shirt and I've got a couple of them and I have like three, three or four pairs of the exact same jeans, exact same color, size, cut. I don't make decisions in the morning. I have realized, I think the interesting thing about my aesthetic is a lot of people assume that I'm just incredibly organized, that I might even be type A, that I'm just like this really kind of put together person. And the funny thing is I'm everything, but I have just built all these systems to help myself out, to help myself succeed. And so I know to help myself to succeed, I need to make, I need to save all my decision-making for the important stuff. So I don't make decisions about what I put on my body, what kind of clothes I wear. And I've kind of done that in a lot of places in my life. I call it bulk Mm decision-making where I'm going to make this decision once and I'm not going to make it again. All right. Give me another example. Okay. You're standing in the grocery store. There's 50 varieties of pasta. I buy the exact same kind every single time I've become brand loyal. I never make a decision at the grocery store. I always buy the same yogurt. Stonyfield plain whole milk yogurt. I don't make a decision. I'm not going to waste my decision-making on yogurt. (laughs) I love it. So as much as possible, you reduce decision fatigue. I do because I have it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and the reason I brought that up is because I was talking to my wife that I was to uh, connect with you and sharing with you kind of how, sharing with her how it met. And she, she loves your uh, work as well, but Mm, thank you. I said, you know what? I think this, this outfit thing, it's like Steve Jobs and (laughs) Melissa Coleman. Like I need to do that. I need to have like my eight shirts, right. And you know, pants and shorts, but just a couple, whatever. And then like everything just, I, I can get behind that. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And then, and then you realize like, I would just get overwhelmed by lots of things and I didn't even realize it. And I didn't realize that I was leaving the house stressed out at 7am or 8am whenever I was leaving. And I was carrying that into my day and it was like a snowball. And when you can reduce the snowball or just never let the snowball start, it's amazing. The, this, the space you're creating, I always like to tell people, you, you know, you can have a minimal physical space, but if your mental space is still really full and cloudy, it's, it's not productive. And I, what I'm trying to do is to create a minimal physical space to kind of help my mental space because it's a little spinny up there. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, then let me just, I just came up with two challenges for you. Put you on the spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Kevin comes home tonight. Melissa yep. tomorrow. No, that's unfair. This weekend, we're going to a fancy dinner party. Oh boy. And you're like, I need to get a new outfit. How mm-hmm. do you approach that? I usually go underdressed. I have a pair of black pants. I have that chambray shirt. I have a, it's, it's like in the magazines where they're like, take, you can take this this outfit to work, to yeah, do like work 10 different dinner. things with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's how I think of it. And I'd put a necklace on and maybe I'd make sure my hair looked a little nicer and I'd wear pointier toe shoes. I, and I'm okay going somewhere underdressed. It's happened a lot of times when we lived on the East coast, it happened so many times and I was so embarrassed. I was like, Kevin, you didn't tell me this is a cocktail event, (laughs) but now I'm just like, whatever, I'm going to show up as me because when I try to show up as anyone else, it just never seems to go so well. 
Well, what's great is you're showing up as you, and in my mind, this is my marketing mind. I'm like, oh, she's living the brand. That's awesome. That's right. <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. I mean, if you boil it down, I'm, that's yeah. kind of what it is. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So, well, how do you approach a recipe then? You know, is it as simple as you looking at these things and maybe don't understand why or how they're there? <laughs> is it like, share with me, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I usually take a recipe or I'll research a bunch of recipes. Like, you know, how are people approaching making a cake? And I'll look through all the different methods because there's not any one right way. And I'll find the method that I think is the most simple. I, I often notice um, uh, user experience. You know, we talk a lot about it online and I notice it a lot in my real life. If my user experience is poor, I quit doing something. So my goal when I'm creating a recipe or designing a space is to have really good user experience so I come back to it again and again. So when I'm looking at researching, I'll look for, you know, which recipe, which method might have the best user experience. It's going to meet me in the middle of the week when I've got kids running around, when I really need to pull off this cake, when my butter's not ready yet, X, Y, Z. Like I think through all the, the variables and then I'll kind of land on a recipe and you know, now I'm to the point where I kind of know how to write a recipe. I know ratios, I understand ratios and what needs to be in it to work. And then I start reducing down, like which steps can I omit? A lot of times, this is just human nature. We, we just do things a certain way because that's the way everybody has done them before. And so I become a a critic and I look at every little step like why did we do it this way why did you add this here and I pick it apart to the nth degree I destruct it and then I reconstruct it and put it back together in a way that is has great hopefully great user experience you know I'm realizing more and more everything that you do is looking at it from a designer's perspective it's like a design yes. problem right it is, is. That that's yeah. the way i see the whole wide world yep yeah. yep are, are recipes in some ways comforting to you because the decisions are already made for you yeah what i love about a recipe oh gosh that's such a good question what i love about a recipe is that i get to make something i can make my own recipe i can test it a bunch of times but then i can land on it and say yes to it like yes this is good and now i can just step repeat and I, I love making stuff, but I also love getting to the point where you can say enough is enough. And then you can kind of step repeat and always get that same good result. Mm, I love that. Okay. So when you cook, so you're going to make fun of me and I'm going to share this on my <laughs> podcast and people probably make fun of me. So, um, my wife is an amazing cook and she does most of cooking in the house. You know, I do, mm -hmm. you know, um, some you know, grilling and all that sort of thing. But okay. Wednesday nights now are my uh, nice dinner night, right? Well, so, decision making. Yep. Yep. So my first one uh, was yesterday and I was like, what am I going to make? And so my kids are always cracking up about, they always send me recipes on TikTok. So I told them <laughs> I'm, my theme, my dad's theme is I'm going to cook Wednesday nights are going to be TikTok recipes. Oh, I love it. So I did my first one last night. And my daughter didn't eat it, but my son loved it. And it, it's probably going to sound gross to those people, some people, but it was meatloaf and mashed okay. potatoes. It was a, yes. just a hearty winter meal, right? Yep. And what I found interesting was that the visual experience of the recipe was actually really enjoyable. 
Mm-hmm. So I can I I can totally get behind. I just felt comforted. I'm like, oh, I don't. I'm I'm making, but I don't have yes. to necessarily make too many decisions. I mean, the, I did make some decisions where I added some other personal flavors that I wanted, yes. and that felt really life giving. Yeah, I'm talking about a recipe right now. It's so hilarious. Um, no. But it was. But then, <laughs> but then, of course, you know, eating and everything else is great as well around the table. Yeah, I often say that. You know, I think of myself. I don't know that other people think of me this way, but I am an artist, and I—it's kind of the way I navigate the world and think about the world. And my mediums just look different. Sometimes my medium is like sugar and flour and butter, and other times it's a paint swatch, and other times it's and and the and we and words. Like everything to me is is a medium that you can pick up and manipulate and make something. Just mm. make something. That's a wonderful perspective. One of the questions I was going to ask you, and I got lost on my TikTok story, was: <laughs> Do you do you like snack along the way when you're cooking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're not a snacker, if I remember right. I'm not, but I also. How does that ha- um, how does that happen? How, tell me how is is yeah. your non-snacking? Is that also part of the reductionist concept? Yeah, you know. So I, as a kid, I my mom told me, "Eat to live, don't live to eat," because all I could think about was food and, and the next food adventure. Like when I was eating breakfast, I was thinking about lunch. When I was eating lunch, I was thinking about <laughs> dinner, and and that can create problems. Like you can kind of guess that yeah. anytime you become obsessed with anything, it can kind of spill over and create an excess. And so I, as a kid. I often struggled with my weight, and then I tore my MCL and ACL, and you can't move, and I struggled with my weight. And that is probably like another layer, underlying story of all of this. I had to figure out how to cook for myself, and I grew up in the age of snack wells and sugar-free, and you know, health in a way that we weren't necessarily eating just real whole natural foods. And so then, you know, my big whole grain baking Bible, I was like, I got that book because I wanted to still bake. I didn't want to reduce that out of my life. I didn't want to take the pleasure, you know, minimalism. There's a quote that I love by Leonard Corin, pared down to the essence, but don't remove the poetry. Mm-hmm. And I've just had 10,000 iterations of that in my life. And, you know, in that instance, the poetry was the scone. I am still going to make scones, but maybe I can learn how to make them with whole grains. And I know that whole grains are going to fill me up a little bit um, longer and that whole grains are a little bit bitter. So in order to counterbalance that bitter, you might need to add a citrus and, you know, just learning the ins and outs of things. And it's back to design, solving a problem. Like, how can I solve this problem beautifully? How can I pare it down without removing the essence or the joy of it? And so we bake and we cook. And for me, not snacking is just like one of those borders or parameters that I know that I, if I stay within this, then I can just really enjoy this. And that mm. is mealtimes for me mm. and wine. <laughs> red or white, or does it does not matter. Well, red. Yeah. Okay. Red. There we go. Kind of matters. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Melissa, now, full Martha, now. Mm-hmm. Is that if I don't want to interpret what we're talking about here, but is that where is that now? Is that on pause? Is that where's that at? It's a good question. One of my neighbors at we do it. We get together once a month, and she said, "What are you in the middle of?" 
And I love that question. And I would say, because it's so open-ended and it's just a, like a repetition of your question, I, I think I'm in the middle of figuring that out, you know, how to pare down the essence, how to keep, how do, how do I keep what is good? And I'm sorting through on the phone, Martha, I'm sorting through a whole lot of things right now. One question, this, this hit me, gosh, it's been years now. Maybe this question started kind of bubbling up around 2017, but you know, I noticed myself on my phone, like down like this all the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, if my daughter my oldest son, she was pretty little, but I thought if she had to do a portrait of me, she would most definitely include a phone in my hand and maybe my, my neck would be bent and maybe you wouldn't even see my eyes because I would be looking at this thing. And I like just kept seeing that, that problem in, in my life. I'm like, I've got my head down scrolling. And then I started to ask myself the question of, well, gosh, if I'm online, if I'm posting online, Am I not also contributing to that? I'm giving people stuff mm -hmm. to scroll on. And, you know, I don't think it's all bad. Nothing is ever all bad. But that, that kind of, that question just kept festering. What am I consuming? And then it turned into what am I creating for other people to consume? And I tossed around that question with my husband for probably years. And he's generous and just sticks with my <laughs> questions that stick around for years. But our answer to that question was, and there's no one right answer, just like approaching a vanilla cake. There's no one right answer. But our answer to that question was a cabin, a cabin that we could design because I love to design uh, a cabin that we could go to get away and that we felt good about sharing those things. And I've been really careful about how much I share when I'm at the cabin with my family. I don't, I'm trying to kind of pivot away as much as I can from sharing my life, from keeping people down here like this and trying to focus on creating things where people can, you know, pick their head up, like get their hands in flour and butter or go to a cabin and get lost to get found, like do the same things that I'm doing. I don't wanna create things, I don't want my life to be entertainment for someone. And I realized that that's what I was doing in some ways. And I also realized that that's kind of what marketers want. Like we want to hold people's attention. We want them to press buy. And that's good, you know, we need an economy, but, do we need an economy in a, of excess? And and what what am I going to contribute? What do I feel comfortable? And so that the cabin was the answer, and that's kind of where the full Martha is right now. I've really directed so much of my attention that way. I I didn't anticipate how much attention I would need to direct that way, but I had at one point last year. It was March. I was working on a lemon poppy seed muffin. I was obsessing over it. And my husband goes, as soon as you're done with this recipe, you have to pivot and spend all your attention on the cabin. And I did that in March and I just stayed there for, well, I'm almost still there. Now I'm to the point where the cabin is done and now I'm getting to share the design online mm -hmm. and in hopes that people can go and, and explore it. I 
kind of thought of myself as I was designing as a set designer. What kind of stage will I set for people to come, whoever they are, however they are. And thinking about design too, going back to what we talked about is how will I make this beautiful so that it's inspiring, but tangible so that you can come and sit on the couch. I, there, there's just this gap with design. It can be off-putting to some people. It can make you feel like you need to stand at the edge of the room rather than in the room. And, mm. and as a set designer, I wanted to figure out how do I get people in the room? And then when they're in the room, how do I show them in myself when I'm there? How do I show them that it's okay to relax and rest? And there's mm. nooks in every corner of this place. And I have three, three or four different kinds of coffee makers. Most of them are manual. Just 10,000 reminders to relax and unwind and with no purpose of doing something rather than just to do something. Hmm. So <clears throat> what was your favorite part of the cabin to design? Oh man, I, did, I guess. And, and uh, here's the second question. And did you mm-hmm. feel a lot of pressure to get the kitchen right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. So kitchen and kitchen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the kitchen, we brought it down to the studs because there was a lot of plumbing issues overhead in a bathroom that was sitting overhead. And we knew that once we started opening one thing up, it was just kind of a trickle effect that we'd have to kind of tear apart everything. And the cabin was built in the seventies. So, you know, we, asked them, it was a tall order. We asked them to preserve and save as much as possible. But when they would take some things apart, like a board would crack, it was old. It was old. So with the kitchen, we, it was basically gutted to the studs and we had to put back in something. And I wanted it to feel like whatever we were putting back in was just, it just flowed through the space. Like you never, you never paused like, Oh, that's a new kitchen. Like everything flowed into the next thing and everything felt like it belonged. And so that part was kind of hard. Like I couldn't even source some of the things I was looking for. Like where's wooden poles who somebody's got to make wooden poles. I found one person, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Internet. That probably was a nice part of the internet. Yeah. I do love the internet. It's a great tool. Um, and I know we're, we're, thank you again for uh, giving me a few extra minutes. Let me just ask one, you know, kind of final question about your cabin. <clears throat> it had an additional element to the design palette, right? You're, you're in nature. Mm-hmm. So how did that inject in your design, you know, sort of brief when it came to really creating that experience for whoever visits there? Yeah. This was one of those things where I said yes to without an answer, which, you know, I, I trust myself with design. I will say yes a thousand times, but this one was a little bit more terrifying because it, it was an aesthetic that I, I wasn't familiar with. There's also this deep cabin culture. I don't know if, if it's, if you guys have it in Illinois, I know it's like, you know, in Michigan, you go to more beach beach houses or cottages in minnesota there is a deep-rooted cabin culture it's like it's a part of people's families there's cabins that have been in the families for years and we're new here we didn't grow up with this and yet we were jumping into something that is kind of sacred so we researched a lot i researched there's a man named Dale Mulfinger who writes a lot about cabin culture and has published a lot of books. So I researched a lot of 
that so that I could honor what was already here. And then our other job, we made it our job to honor the original cabin. And so we decided not to paint any of the cedar. The walls were lined in cedar and that was our, you know, in our brief, our design brief, we put it in there that we are not painting any of these walls, which was terrifying because I live in mostly a white house. I shoot on a white background. Like I have an aesthetic and I really had to kind of bend out. And honestly, I just got to know the cabin and as a person almost, it sounds weird, but you know, what is this place? What is this place supposed to do? Where is it? And we put big windows in everywhere. We use Marvin Windows, which is a Minnesota company, uh, to bring the outdoors in as much as possible. And almost to, you know, back to this original question of what do I want to give people? What do I want to create for people to consume? I wanted to, you know, turn people's posture outside. And we did that all throughout the design. In every single room you're in, there's multiple ways to look outside, even if you're not outside. Mm -hmm. And the hope there too would be like, go, get outside. Like if you have enough visual reminders, we know this as designers and marketers, if you, if you, repetition is a really great tool and a teacher. And we use that all throughout the design. There's 10,000 reminders. Mm, I love it. I love it so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm only been made aware of that culture. Some of my friends that live in Minnesota every weekend, it's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I'm like, oh, we're going to cabin. Like, that's what yeah. we do. Like, we go to cabin. And I was like, every weekend? And they're like, yeah, pretty much. And so it's wild. I, I found that pretty, pretty awesome, actually, to have that yeah. sort of tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend, man, it's so good to see you. Hopefully it's not another. Likewise whatever it was 10 12 10, years eight I years know. whatever it is i just i'm going to be honest with you I, I sent my wife the link to the cabin and said hey this could be a good getaway oh we- but uh big gigantic congratulations to you i know it's been you've had some you know bumps in the road but I, man mm-hmm. you've done some amazing work my friend it's just really thank really you. beautiful i can't wait to share it and thank you so much thanks for having me it's super affirming and you know, maybe you experience this as an artist, but it's hard to always trust and believe in yourself. So it's, it's really nice to have someone who I respect like you to say those things. So thank you. For more on Melissa and the faux Martha, please go to the faux T H E F A U X M A R T H A.com. And check out her incredible recipes, her design, her brilliant cookbook and the gorgeous Minnesota cabin. I would also like to thank Sleeping at Last for providing our show soundtrack. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping at Last wherever you get your music from. And to design of his audio engineer, Steve Wick, who got so hungry editing this episode, he started thinking about his favorite celebrity chef. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell others about our show on your social of choice and stay tuned for more of Design of Season 8 coming soon. 
please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.